Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. I'd like to thank you for joining us today as we launch our second show on Noah. And we're talking about the Noah in the Bible, although the epic movie that is making waves across the country and stirring up some discussion and controversy, we'd like to see that stir created by the film as providing a great opportunity to revisit the subjects of Noah, the ark, and the flood. And let me tell you why. If you're a parent, you need to know that the flood topics are foundational for the spiritual formation of your children in the 21st century. Well, you say, how can ancient history be foundational for my children today? Well, I'll tell you why. Our culture is quickly transforming itself to resemble the days of Noah preceding the flood. Our Lord Jesus Christ said, as in the days of Noah, so shall be the coming of the Son of Man. And as our world descends further and further into apostasy, we're getting closer to resembling the days of Noah. And what worked in Noah's day to maintain faith will work in our day with our families as well. But first, I'd like to mention a couple of things. I did happen to see the Noah movie. I'd like to mention a few things of what I liked about the movie. First, I really appreciated the realism of the film. You see, the flood isn't a child's fairy tale, and the movie didn't portray the flood as some make-believe myth even though, believe it or not, many religious teachers and books present it that way. So I like the Noah movie for showing a very realistic arc and a terrifying worldwide flood because it was terrifying. Also, the movie did, I thought, a good job of portraying the degenerate pre-flood culture. It was only a few generations after original sin that the world seemed to have just very quickly descended into barbarism, and the film tried to realistically portray that. Also, something that's sometimes not done, believe it or not, in seminaries and Christian colleges, the movie did a good job showing how the early genealogy from Adam to Noah would have been passed on from father to son. And the early genealogies of the scriptures are portrayed as true, and indeed they are. So basically, I see the movie as a good conversation starter on Noah and the flood. Today, I'd like to hit a couple of weaknesses that I saw in the movie. And next week, I'll be sharing some more, in particular, one weakness that may in fact shock you. But for today, one of the things that I felt was quite weak in the movie was an overblown environmentalism. It was pro-nature, pro-animals, but in a way, anti-human. Uh, people were seen as the problem for polluting the world and nature, and God was trying to cleanse people from the world in order to purify and preserve nature. Now, it's great to be pro-nature. I love nature. It's good to be pro-animals. I love animals. But it's not good to be anti-human. We're to love human beings. And in today's world, 
any kind of anti-human, pro-nature, environmentalistic, overblown environmentalistic type teaching is dangerous because there are very influential people in and out of government, uh, in global agencies, that who would like to see a radical reduction of human population. There could even be in the near future candidates for the president of the United States who would support UN efforts at population control. Some may even approve of China's one-child policy. So we don't want to take environmentalism, which is a good, and blow it to the point of saying we need to get rid of people to preserve the environment. And kind of coupled with this in the movie was an extended drama towards the end of the film where Noah is depicted as seriously contemplating killing his own granddaughters. I just found that outrageous because it wasn't just a passing scene. This was towards the climax of of the film. And just believe me, Noah would have never have contemplated killing his grandchildren, just like any grandparent listening to me would not kill your own grandchildren. Noah was a righteous man. That's just bordered on silliness. It wasn't anywhere in the orbit of being faithful to the text of Genesis. But, you know, I think there's something more dangerous than perhaps some of the weaknesses that were in the Noah film. And those things which are more dangerous, and I'm talking particularly more dangerous to the faith of our children, are the weaknesses of many modern Catholics and how they teach children about Noah, the ark, and the flood. And you heard me right, because doubt, which weakens faith, is much more effective coming from someone in religious garb or someone teaching in a Catholic institution than somebody in Hollywood making a movie. So we are right to be suspicious of the film and want to contrast it with Genesis, and there are weaknesses in it. But I think we need to also recognize that the weaknesses are very often with well-intentioned people in our very own ranks. And how would this work out? Well, let's, let's listen to an all-too-common conversation as a person asked a Catholic religious leader or teacher this. Was there a literal Noah, a real ark, and a worldwide flood? Now, instead of a simple yes, too often you'll get a five-minute complicated answer. Our children need to know, is it true or not? And if we kind of give a halfway spin, they're going to pick up that something's amiss, that this isn't totally true. So when they hear somebody say, a religious leader, Catholic religious leader or teacher say, well, the Genesis story, and that's maybe almost a word that we need to avoid because children hear story, and there are true stories, and there's make-believe stories. And when religious teachers say the Genesis story contains the germ of truth of what happened. The germ of truth? It doesn't contain the true truth? 
it doesn't contain the fullness of truth? Now, let's take our young person who asked a Catholic religious leader, did Noah's flood really happen? Was there a real Noah? Was there a real ark? And they say, well, the story contains a germ of truth. Now, as they're in high school and go to college, I don't know if you're aware, there's a rapidly growing acceptance of same-sex marriage amongst Catholic youth. And if you tell them that the story of Noah only contains a germ of truth, well, they'll say, well, what about the whole bit about marriage in Genesis 2 and the perversion of marriage in Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19? Is that just a germ of truth, too? So maybe we can just kind of evolve that story into fitting into the legalization of same-sex marriage. Where are you going to hold the ground for marriage if you can't even hold the ground on something as clear as day in the Scripture as the flood? Oh, they might say, well, there was a flood. But then they'll qualify it in their complicated answer, saying, well, it was a local Mesopotamian flood, or maybe it was a, a regional flood. There was an earthquake up around the Black Sea, and it maybe flooded the Mesopotamian area, but it certainly wasn't a worldwide flood. And then if you happen to go to a Catholic high school, and I've run into this as I've taught Catholic young people, they're telling their students that Moses— borrowed the story of the flood from the Gilgamesh epic. Now, it is true that the Gilgamesh epic is a very ancient recounting of an ancient flood, uh, a boat that from which uh, you know certain persons were saved and such like that. But here's just something uh, as a uh, one who used to work in the marine industry, who taught sailing professionally, it was in the United States Navy, in the Gilgamesh epic, the ark was a cube. Now, you might live in some place totally landlocked and never seen a boat in your life. And if you and I walked down to the dock together and we saw one ship of the dimensions and proportions of an ark, and we saw another as a giant cube, which one would you hop on to cross the ocean? Uh, I dare say you wouldn't get on a cube because a cube is not seaworthy. It's ludicrous. It's a joke. And yet, as a joke, that is being taught as truth to Catholic young people. Moses wrote the truth, and as a result, as the peoples dispersed throughout the world following the flood and the judgment of Babel, yes, there's probably as many as 500 different flood stories around the world, and Genesis is the one from which truth comes. You see, there's the danger to your children and grandchildren of this watered-down but well-intentioned watered-down teaching of Genesis. Last week, I, I gave you a quote from Pope Leo XIII that every parent and grandparent, you, you really need to drill this into your mind, almost need to memorize it. It comes from Pope Leo XIII's encyclical on the study of Holy Scripture, and he says the following, quote, the young if they lose their reverence for the Holy Scriptures on one or more points, are easily led to give up believing in it altogether, unquote. In other words, if you have a weak point, 
that children are led to doubt if they lose their reverence for just one point of Scripture. Their tendency is to give up believing it altogether. And you see, it's very difficult for a lot of people who are very smart to believe that God could do something that they can't conceive of another human being doing. So they begin to doubt and kind of try to um, make human size the miracle of a worldwide flood. But in the process of doing so, because see, the flood is in the ark. These are one of the, this is kind of the weak point for those who have weak faith. And when the doubts are put forward, you say, well, you know, it's not a big deal. It's just that stuff way back there in Genesis. But see, this is like the foundation of a building. I mean, you can have the prophets and the psalmist of the Old Testament, and then finally Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount and the resurrection, the ascension, the Blessed Mother, the church in the book of Acts. All of that superstructure, if you destroy the foundation, comes crashing down. And not only Pope Leo XIII warned about this, Jesus Christ himself warned about this. In John chapter 5, verses 46 and 47, another set of verses that parents and grandparents should carefully heed. Jesus said, quote, If you believed Moses, the author of Genesis, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Unquote. Jesus said his second coming, some of his last teachings that we find in the gospel, the sermon, the Olivet Discourse on the Sermon on Olivet Mountain, where he said, my coming, his second coming, will be as in the days of Noah. Well, if Noah's pretend, is the second coming pretend too? I mean, where do we draw the line on this? Well, you know, this isn't quite as complicated as many experts make it out to be. You don't need a five-minute answer when a young person asks, was there a real Noah, a real ark, and a real flood? The answer, yes, yes, yes. So what is the historic Catholic view of Noah, the ark, and the flood? Well, we start with Moses, because Jesus said if you're going to believe him, uh, you have to believe Moses first, because he's the foundation for everything that comes after. Here's Genesis chapter 7, verses 17 through 20. And you listen carefully, because this is the infallible Word of God, and our Catechism of the Catholic Church teaches that the Scripture is true, and this is what it says. The flood continued 40 days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. Well, this wasn't a local flood for sure. Verse 18, the waters prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. Verse 19, and the waters prevailed so mightily upon the earth that all the high mountains under the whole of heaven were covered. I guess that takes out the regional flood. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And a cubit is the length from approximately your elbow to the tip of your fingers, about half of a yardstick, so to speak. Everything under the mountains, above the mountains, excuse me, was covered with water. 
everything on the dry land with the breath of life died, and only Noah and those with him in the ark lived. Okay, so that's Genesis. And it's a real hard time saying that's teaching anything other than what it says very plainly and repeatedly and explicitly and with emphasis. Now let's go to the New Testament and let's go right to the rock. St. Peter, the first pope, writing infallible scripture. I mean, what more authority as a Catholic can you get than the first pope writing scripture? His second epistle, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3. First of all, you must understand this, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own passions and saying, where's the promise of his coming, the second coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things have continued as they were from the beginning of creation. Verse 5, here comes a zinger. They deliberately ignore this fact that by the word of God, heavens existed long ago and an earth formed out of water and by means of water through which the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. It wasn't the Mesopotamian Valley. It wasn't the region of the Black Sea. It was the world that then existed was flooded, deluged with water and perished. And notice St. Peter does the exact same thing that Jesus does comparing his second coming with the days of Noah. St. Peter concludes by saying, by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist have been stored up for fire keeping until the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. And St. Peter goes on to say, thus we should be living in light of this very holy lives. This is why your children and grandchildren need to hear this type of thing. Not only that there was a great world judgment in Genesis, but there's going to be at the end of time a great judgment as well, and they're going to be looking very similar, and there's going to be a lot of people scoffing about the idea, a lot of people doubting about the idea. You don't want to do that. We here at the Family Life Center have been looking for a solid tool for teaching Jesus, excuse me, for teaching Genesis and the flood, and we wanted a tool that teach Genesis and the flood in a way that's not conveying the early chapters of Genesis aren't teaching about myths and fables and poetic fabrications, but something real and historical that actually happened. And we think we found a children's book on Noah and the Flood that you'll greatly appreciate. You can go to familylifecenter.net. That's familylifecenter.net. And you can go to our store and look for the children's book on Noah and the flood. You see, I've gone through a bunch of books on the flood for children, and most of them you'll see, I mean, they're real nice, happy little books. They're like Care Bear type animals happily floating around on a toy boat. But that's not what this was. You don't want to present Noah and the flood narrative on the same level of story as Care Bears or some other children's fairy tale. Uh, they'll simply outgrow this. Really what you want is that your children grow older 
you put within their minds and heart what happened at the flood and then put the connection like Jesus and St. Peter did with the second coming, when they go out in the world and, quote, everybody's doing it, no, in the first worldwide judgment, not everybody was doing it, and he and his family were saved. And in the second judgment to come, it will seem like everybody's doing it, and they'll have the guts to stand for their faith while everybody else is just caving in to the, quote, new morality. So anyhow, a children's book that's very realistic, faithful to the biblical text, and here's another one. It has to have realistic artwork. Not only a book on Noah and the Ark, but even children's Bibles, if they're cartoonish, and a lot of uh, people think by making cartoons out of children's story Bibles is a good thing. Personally, I don't because, again, they'll outgrow it, thinking this is like a cartoon. Rather, realistic drawings and paintings, both in children's Bibles and in a children's book on the ark. So we found a resource that was both fascinating, realistic artwork, thought-provoking, basically winsome, and children will have their faith strengthened by it, and we think that parents and grandparents will as well as they read it to their children. So if you go to our website, now I'm going to warn you, this is kind of an experiment for us, uh, the title will be Children's Book on Noah and the Flood, but that's not the actual title because we can't afford to sort through a stack of children's books and then you have you run off to a uh, steeply discounted internet bookseller and leave us high and dry. So the book's title is simply Children's Book on Noah and the Flood. That's not the actual title. You order it. If you don't like it, just send it back. We'll refund all your money. Okay? But we encourage you to get a copy of that. And what I will be doing as well is be giving you a quick summary of what I'm about to give you, because I just gave you scriptures from Genesis. I gave you the first pope in his epistle, 2 Peter chapter 3. Now I want to give you just a hint of what the early church fathers taught about Noah, the ark, and the flood. This is Catholic teaching from the early centuries, and unfortunately, it varies quite a bit from a lot of voices you hear today. Let me take you back to about the year 150 with Bishop Theophilus of Antioch. And Antioch was a town just on the north of Israel. Antioch was the city from which the whole Gentile mission to the Roman Empire launched with St. Paul and St. Barnabas. So this was obviously a, a very key center of Christianity. And this is from his accurate account of the deluge. Again, about 150. He says, And Moses showed that the flood lasted 40 days and 40 nights, torrents pouring from heaven and from the foundations of the deep breaking up, so that the water overtopped every hill 15 cubits. Okay, that was the early church teaching, early Catholic church teaching, exactly as Genesis, and thus the race of all men that then were was destroyed. And of the ark, there remains to this day to be seen in the mountains of Arabia, the ark. Did you hear that? In 150 AD, the Roman Catholic bishop of Antioch would say, the ark can still be seen. Now, 
perhaps the latest date I've seen from the flood for the flood, it ranges between 3000 and 2350 BC. So like you add 150 AD to that, you're talking 2,500 years later, the remains of the ark are still there. One accurate thing you saw of the Noah movie was that there was a, a deep pitch, kind of like our creosol today or treated utility poles would have preserved the, the ark. Hippolytus writing about 200 from Rome, the very center of Roman Catholicism, he says, and in Noah's time, there occurred a flood throughout the entire world. Again, not local or regional. And he owed his preservation to an ark. Both the dimensions and relics of this ark are, as we have explained, shown to this day in the mountains of Ararat. So in 200 AD, in the heart of the Roman Catholic Church, you find the teaching that the ark had survived over 2,500 years to that day. So, see, this wasn't fiction to folks. And finally, here's St. John Chrysostom, a fourth century saint, father, and doctor of the church in his eighth homily on 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, did they not actually happen? Men of old said so many things for a hundred years while the ark was building, but because they did not believe the threat in words, they suffered the punishment in very deed. And this will be our fate too if we shall not have believed. On this account that he compares his coming, that is the second coming, with the days of Noah. Because as some disbelieved in that deluge, so will they in the deluge of hell. And there's even some people running around saying hell won't be eternal and not many people in hell today. Do you believe that the deluge took place, or does it seem to you a fable? And yet the mountains where the ark rested bear witness. I speak of those in Armenia. The ark was still there in the fourth century. This is Steve Wood with Faith and Family. Until next time, may God bless you and your family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at familylifecenter.net. To order a CD copy of today's broadcast, order online at www.familylifecenter.net.